This is a tasty one. I see where Finn gets it. <laughs> oh my god! No, I just I just slurp down some fucking delicious beverage and. You know like, what that means? That means we're into untethered. Yeah. Oh, I, I, that's where you're going with that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Just it could have been weird. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't anything weird okay, about it. I, I, I wasn't sure. We wasn't sure where we were going with that. Nope, just All untethered. Right. Uh, like a, this is un- <laughs> like a this is untethered. One hundred part six of the West Memphis Three. Um, <gasps> we're finally finishing the book. Guacamole. We are finishing the book today, yep. and uh, Allie has her fidget. Toy with her today. <laughs> I can't quit no, with I, I love know. No, it's great. Thing, yeah. It's got so many things to fidget she's with. Bunch like buttons and twisty if she's, dudes and if she's not fidgeting with it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man. So um, so yeah, this is uh, untethered number one hundred. My God, and we're we're gonna be wrapping with uh, this one and next week as a recap. Yeah, correct? and I'm really hoping I can squish next week and it won't even be an hour because I I don't know how much I'll have all together. I mean, I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that they end up getting released. Sure, but like there there's be there be a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we hope you guys are comfortable. Go ahead and grab a drink, uh, get a snack. I don't even know what you need to listen to your podcast, but uh, but yeah, just uh, get cozy and uh, buckle up because it's going to be a ride. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, regardless, um, Allie, you all right, just take it away. Yep. All right. So, like I've said at the first of every episode. Please start at episode one. I, you're going to be so fucking lost if you don't. There's so much on this head. Oh, yeah. I know six episodes is insane. I, I Listen, I know more than listen. y'all know <laughs> that it's insane. But thank you for sticking with me. I, I've got some good feedback, so it's been it's been cool to do this. This case fucking lives in my head. This, this Here, this is my thing that I think about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, before before covering it on the podcast. Yeah, dude. All right, so um, where we picked up last week, the, the trials have ended. Um, Jesse and Jason each got life in prison without the possibility of parole, and Damien was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Um, I, I just got to thinking, and I think that Jason Baldwin might be the saddest part because, like, he was the youngest. He was still 16. And he really had like faith that the trial would show that he was not guilty. Yeah. And he believed really strongly in God. He thought God was in control. So everything would work out. And to be convicted of a satanic triple murder when like you're such a like God follower is just such a like sad thing. You know, you know, what's really weird though. So I've never seen uh, any of these guys. That's until, why I threw that in there. Yeah. And yeah. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Um, because we, so if you were literally just looking at these people, yeah, dude, Jesse Miss Kelly looks like the hardest one, yeah, and like, but like when and you he's ninety five pounds, yeah, no, I know, but it's like it's wild, yeah. I don't know what it is that it's like. I, I don't know if it's like short he might, hair. He might have been the like, meanest one, you know. I yeah, mean, well, it's just so weird because like, like, uh, fucking uh, Jason. Baldwin looks like a fucking child. Yeah. Like he looks like a child. I mean, he was sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Miss Kelly looks like he could be older. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then Damian Eccles looks like every like that goth kid in your school, like that stereotypical Larry, goth kid in the school. Are, are you looking at the mugshots? 
Uh, no, but I've seen them before. I can pull them up. I keep thinking how much Damien's mugshot looked like Riley. And I oh, just really? I keep meaning That's to ask funny. you what you think about that. Because I, I don't know if it's just in my head that it's just a guy with long, dark hair. Yeah. I don't know. I can see that. Okay, okay, okay. I kept meaning to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I've never seen these photos before. Yeah. So. Um, Damien's is on a lot of stuff. Like, it's on, like, the cover for Paradise Lost and stuff like that. Yeah. But the other two, I don't think I had ever even fucking seen. Yeah. So, and, man, the the sites that I'm going to send out in the newsletter, I, there's, there's so many pictures. I have deliberately not clicked around because I don't want to see, like, the crime scene sure. stuff. But sure. I'm going to watch all the Paradise Lost, and those are all in there. So, yeah. not all of them, but some of them. The bodies are. Yeah. Um, so just after Christmas of 1994, Jason got this letter in jail from or in prison from a guy that had been a counselor at the jail where him and that Michael Carson guy that testified against him yeah. had been. Mm-hmm. This counselor said that every word that Michael said on the stand was based on conversations that the counselor and him had had. Mm. So not even Jesse and no Jason, yeah. Jason, Jason, I'm sorry. But um, the counselor said they discussed the case in a meeting and the counselor told him just like what people are saying about what had been done to the victims. Yeah. And Michael Carson turned around and told police that Jason had confessed all these details. Like, <sighs> so this counselor's beating himself up about it as yeah. he should. Yeah. Uh, he said when he found out he wasn't sure what to do because he thought he might get sued over providing confidential information if he did disclose that like, Hey, this came from my meeting with Michael Carson. Yeah. Um, so he contacted Paul Ford, Jason's lawyer, and he agreed to testify. And he wasn't allowed to. And he never really found out why. Just got told something about the information being privileged. Hmm, imagine that. Convenient. All, all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Convenient. Yeah. 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 Um, Jesse got in trouble in prison a lot for cursing, refusing to work, fighting, and drinking. Um, he was put in isolation a lot. He said years later that he would purposely get into fights and get himself in trouble to go to the hole mm. to be alone and try to settle his thoughts. Cause the peace and quiet was nice. I'm like, that's so that's sad. Absolutely. Fucking disturbing, man. Um, Damien was on death row. He was in the single man cell. And as soon as he got there, they cut off his antidepressant. So Aww. he got to experience cold turkey withdrawal from antidepressant. Dude, meds. that is the worst feeling ever, man. Like, And you're adapting to life on death row. Yeah. So like, God. not thriving. I would say not thriving. Well, so, well. No, what? I don't understand. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Well. Uh-huh. But go on. I, 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 I'm going to make on. a comment, but I already. Yep, no, actually, on. I'm not even going to make. Go, a comment, no, 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 no. So. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. No, you already know what I'm going to say. It's like, <laughs> I mean, isn't that what we pay taxes for? Right. Kind of thing. Ugh. Like this is one of the reasons that it's like okay to yeah. make sure that people that are on death row at least had the fucking meds that they need. Right. To make it to death row. So. Right? See, that's not as anyway. controversial as you thought it would have been, Daniel. Well, no, I know, no, I no, I was saying that I'm preaching the choir. Yeah, so what's the point saying? Point, yeah. yeah, I thought yeah. you were going to say something like off the wall. No, 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 no. <laughs> believe me. In this case, I promise we're all seeing eye to eye. So, um, the guards found a knife in Damien's cell within just a couple of months of him being there, and he got sent to the hole for a month. And he said that he was denied food and beaten while he was down there. Um, it sounded like another prisoner had that knife planted in his cell just to like prove that like he was running things. So you need yeah. to like, you know, power move. Yeah. Um, all three of the defendants lawyers to filed direct appeals to the state Supreme court. So two years after Jesse's conviction, the seven justices gave their unanimous opinion that Jesse's statements were 
pretty much the only evidence they had against him. And yeah, like they were confusing and the times and the events weren't consistent, but uh, those actually are sufficient to support the verdict. And the, the opinion said, quote, when inconsistencies appear in evidence, we defer to the judge jury's determination of credibility. (sighs) (laughs) That, Uh, yeah they also wrote that uh isn't that the judge's like job kind of thing that it's like i think the judge kind of oversees it and tries to make sure that it's all fair and judge burnett led a very fair trial here if you ask judge burnett yeah i have a different in quotation marks i know that this is um different but at the same time it kind of ties into the justice system i have a really different i have a Anyway, so the outlook that I have on the justice system just verified my already feeling of it uh, by listening to Serial's coverage of of the Cincinnati justice system. Not Cincinnati, Cleveland. Cleveland justice system. Yeah, that that whole, that series is so good. Damn, it's it's just so fucked Mm. up. Yeah. Just bleak. Like, so much about, like, the justice system in our country is just bleak. Like, just just hopeless. Mm -hmm. Um, they also wrote uh, the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court wrote in their opinion that they found that Jesse's confession had been voluntary despite his age and intelligence and education level. And despite that a confession that's made while a suspect is in police custody is presumed involuntary. Yeah. And they were still like, well, well, (laughs) so, uh, the court also ruled about Jesse being a minor and not having a parent sign his waiver of rights. They said that this didn't apply in his case because the state Supreme court had previously ruled that when a minor is charged as an adult failure to obtain a parent's signature, waiving his rights does not render a confession inadmissible. So this is them saying, uh, it doesn't count. Well, they've, they've had previous rulings on it. So they're yeah. honestly going by that. So Stidham, Jesse's lawyer said, this is nuts. Like, if you have a minor charged with them, something tiny, like throwing a rock through a window, because they're still being charged as a minor, you couldn't sign your constitutional rights away without a parent. Yeah. But if you're charged for something huge that could get you life or possibly the death penalty, you don't have that protection. So there's an age limit to constitutional rights. In a way. In a way. No. No, and well, they're saying maybe that, but it's like flip flop. That it's like, oh, the the shit that would actually really affect you. Yeah. Oh, you can just like whatever willy nilly. We can charge you, so but or it's not- but if you like Allie, to use Allie's example. Yeah. You throw a, a that fucking was Stidham's rock, example, or yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. throw a rock through a fucking window. And it's like, no, no, you got to have parents like sign off to be charged yeah. as an adult. So it's ver- it's yeah. It's like and it's it's completely yeah. fucking you, backward. I'm also confused because he's not charged till later. Yeah. So like then that counts backwards? No, none dude, of that have, makes any sense. No, 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 none of this makes because sense. Because it's man. not guilt it's not innocent until pr- proving guilty. Like all three of us have said this before. <laughs> So, um, Jason and Damien's lawyers, they put together 44 different points in their direct appeals, all of which I will list. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, the court's opinion in their case came back a couple days before Christmas of 1996. It was 93 pages long. And on every point that the defense lawyers made, the court found that there were no errors by the judge and the trial had been fair. Hmm. God, by whose standards? 
I also question. right. I also took out several times in this where they ask for motion to make a new trial, like because it just it's so repeat. Y'all get it, yeah. And like there's there's so many times. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah. Though. Um, they said the evidence was circumstantial, but put all together, it was sufficient. They said that the factors considered weighed in favor of them having a joint trial. And they said that Fogelman's grapefruit demonstration of both the knives is fine. It's fine. They can do that. I mean, this, this, well. It's goofy. I, I, I can't, I can't just, I can't say enough that this I is know. just fucking silly. Dude. I know. Like. Um, they found no issue with it now being two and a half years after the verdicts and none of the court appointed defense lawyers having been paid still at all a penny. Wow, dude. And the convictions would stand. So the defendants only other appeal option at this point in the state would be to claim that their lawyers were inadequate, but a court wouldn't appoint somebody to argue that. And the West Memphis three boys are all, you know, indigent. They're poor. Like they don't, they can't hire lawyers. Yeah. So the HDO documentary Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood's Hills, Robin Hood Hills, aired in nineteen ninety six. It had a Metallica soundtrack backing the families of both the victims and the defendants. And uh and also all the defendants are on it too. Um they're in jail, of course. John Mike, but John, I can't. Did I catch what you had? At I the know, end dude. Of it's, it's called tongue tied, yeah. and like literally, somehow it's contagious. Uh, John Mark Byers had several long, rambly segments because he always does. There was no real conclusion to the documentary other than like, okay, here's the convictions, and most of the reviewers found it shocking. Um, Trey watched it, watched all three of them. Yeah, and I know they show the pictures of the bodies, so like. Um, and that scene with John Mark Byers, like, saying that he had been assaulted as a kid, that is in there. Like, that made it to it. That'll come up in a minute. Uh, a lot of people who watched it assumed that if all the issues that were shown in the film were real, that the defendants would be out free soon. Because, like, how can you have this many fuck-ups? Yeah. So, three people in Los Angeles, uh, a writer named Burke Sauls, a graphic artist named Kathy Backen, and a photographer named Grove Pashley fucking That's made up name, name is that dude yeah. I, i'm sorry Th- these are the people that moved to la <laughs> right but That's these, Mr. Gregerson, these are their la names Greg <laughs> um yeah my name is dave D- desks yeah. dave desks uh my name is pencil mick uh usb i almost uh, did a spit take sorry. just now <laughs> So these three weirdos, they wanted to know more about the case. Uh, They were having a hard time getting any information. I mean, it's the mid-90s. Like, there's not much on the internet anyway, you know? Um, Rotten.com. Porn and rotten porn. (laughs) So So, uh, Saul said that after seeing Paradise Lost, he felt like he had just missed the part where they show why they thought these three guys murdered the boys. That's a no fair shit. Yeah. Like, wh- where was the evidence? Yeah. God. So Where's in the a- fucking motive. <laughs> right? It's like, okay. Like, God. Well, obviously, Satan knows them. Satan. So, <laughs> Satan. In October of 96, the three of them went to Arkansas and explored the area where the bodies had been found. And then they drove to each prison to meet with Damien, Jason, and Jesse. They also met with Stidham, Jesse's lawyer the only one of the six defense lawyers who was still even trying to prove his client was innocent. Which, I mean, their hands were tied at this point. Like, can't work for free forever, you know? Sucks. They didn't find 
anything supporting the idea that these teens had committed the murders. Um, they kept looking for info. They made a website, WM3.org. Uh, if you go to it now, there's not a lot there, but there used yeah. to be a ton. Yeah. When people would watch Paradise Lost and then they searched online, they found this website. Again, this is 1996. Not a ton of people are who going are, to the site. Yeah, who are searching the website? But I or think... searching the, excuse me, the <laughs> internet in general. Yeah, the, th- their kids are on the phone, so they can't yeah. get on the internet. There wasn't Jugal at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that was also the thing is I had, I had to type like people were searching online instead of saying Googling. Look, yeah. Listen, my, yeah. my Netscape disc hadn't come in for me to get a free trial so yeah no i dude i'm telling you i was waiting for my next free trial from aol i should have put the number here they they did have a it was something like maybe 130,000 hits in a month which is nuts a lot in 96 you know yeah so uh the site was selling t-shirts that had photos of the three and the slogan free the west memphis three uh, they suggested that supporters write to the Arkansas governor, Mike Huckabee, and ask that he have the case reexamined. They published short interviews with th- the three guys uh, with current photos. And they like they would do like little short interviews and stuff. And like just to, just to be like, here, these are real people that still exist and you should care Ellie, about them here. Can, you know, sure. can I ask a question? Uh, you may not know the answer, but maybe you do. I don't know. I bet I do. When <laughs> try me. Uh, and this may have been answered last week, but when did this case actually get national recognition? Um the really like during when the when the documentaries started coming out, they started getting more. That I kinda get into more of that here too. Like okay, there's okay. some stuff awesome. about like Pearl Jam and like, stuff. Yeah, but it's like uh, mid mid to late nineties kind yeah. of thing. like trials already kind of oh over. yeah like the trial yeah, everything ended. was already done yeah like, yeah fuck, it's, it's kind of like it's like hey look how these guys got fucked yeah. it's not like so, look how they're getting fucked. the trials have been well, over for two years when the first Paradise Lost came out and yeah. like so, and then the, when the second one came out in two thousand it got some more press so uh, yeah the court of public opinion really did not have a say into this. Well, there wasn't, honestly, there wasn't a there whole wasn't lot a court of, like, of dissemination of the information kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't internet so, and, like, yeah. how many people are really following some case that looks to be open and shut that's just some, you know, weird metalheads and that it, murdered some kids. Well, and it all comes back to, like, what information was even being put out there. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we're, we, my, we're getting this from the book yeah. kind of thing. I mean, you saw the, the headlines that I did mention that were, like, statewide headlines in Arkansas that were just, like, satanic kids murder younger kids. Yeah. Like, that's what and, all the news And my was. thinking behind that is that, you know, if people outside of the small town heard how ridiculous this discovery of uh, evidence was, maybe, you know, they would have gotten some backlash, right? But since it was so uh, contained within this community and it, it just it ran like a fucking circus show. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I mean, I like, wrong, yeah. but, you know. there, there was no reach back then. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. So... Um, so the site, the WM3.org, it grew and it got to be like this whole hub of information. Um, they had documents from the case. They had links to state Supreme court rulings that were relevant. They had message boards. They had an archive of stuff. Um, like I said, there's not a lot on there now. You could probably use the Wayback machine and look, but, uh, the, the stuff is on some other websites now. So I didn't really think it was necessary. Yeah. Uh, the movement started to spread paradise lost aired again on HBO and they showed it in some movie theaters and then they sold it on video. 
Uh, it aired at the annual documentary film festival in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and pretty much the whole audience that was there stayed an extra two hours to discuss with the producers and some of the defense lawyers. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the West Memphis Three were not allowed to see Paradise Lost, but they started to get a ton of mail. Yeah. Uh, in 1996, Damien said that an interview in an interview that of the hundreds of letters he received, one came from Sister Helen Prejean, the author of Dead Man Walking. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Mm. Um, I follow her. That's okay. I've not seen it, but yeah. uh, I follow her. She's 84 right now, and she's still doing a ton of shit for people on death row. Like she's a spiritual advisor, and she also does stuff to like try to get people like not put to death. If, if sure. I mean, she's anti death penalty, but also like if they've been wrongfully convicted. Yeah. Which is, it's crazy, like, when someone's about to be executed, like, in the days before it, I'll just go to her Twitter and just hit refresh. Because, 84, and she's tweeting like a madman, you know? Yeah. But it's cool. She does Wild. a whole lot. Yeah. Um, people sent Damien books, and he devoured those. Uh, he started writing often back and forth with a woman who was an architect in New York who wrote to him after seeing Paradise Lost. And he talked to her on the phone pretty much any chance he had to talk on the phone. So after Are we going to find out who this woman is? Uh-huh. Okay, I was just wondering. After the trials, Vicki Hutchison, that dumb broad, <laughs> yeah, she contacted our buddy, the PI, Ron Lax, several times with things about the case that are just bugging her. Uh, she wanted to know who got that reward money, because she should have, because Aaron's voice broke that case. What? What? Why are you so insane, Vicki Hutchison? <laughs> <laughs> She said that the police interviewed Aaron several times without her being present and that she intended to sue the city because this caused Aaron a lot of distress. I would believe that. Yeah. She also said that she never signed a release to have her trailer wired and quote, Bryn Ridge told her that, sorry, Brian Ridge told her that they would take care of those hot checks in return for her testimony, but not to tell anyone that. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Lax told her, hey, by the way, you know, Damien didn't drive. And she's like, I might have dreamed the whole ass bat thing. You testified about oh, it. Oh, my God. So a few months later, July 1994, she called Lax to see if there was any news. She told him she'd been on the Maury Povich show with the Hobbses, the Byerses, and Stevie Branch's grandpa. Uh, she said Lax should check out the comments that Mark Byers made on the episode. She told... Glory Shuttles, Lax's assistant, that she was concerned about why is Mark Byers free and these guys are in jail? And why is most of the West Memphis Police Department quitting? So, like, your girl's finally starting to get it. Yeah, she's putting one and one together. Uh, barely. She had to take <laughs> off her shoes to do it. <laughs> uh, Lax had Vicky come to his actual office in August so that he and Jesse's lawyer, Dan Stidham, could interview her. She told him she believes she went to the SBAT, but she was really drunk, and she's not sure who she went with. Girl, how drunk? What? She said she had a fifth of wild turkey by herself beforehand. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She also Holy didn't, shit. didn't remember anything after the SBAT. She woke no up the shit. next morning. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. She woke up the next morning lying in her front yard alone holding another whiskey bottle. Oh, hell. Girl. <laughs> Dude, pump the brakes, Vicky. Holy hell. Uh, she had an interview with writer Burke Sauls. That's the, the website guy. Yeah. And she told him, I basically said what the West Memphis police wanted me to say. 
she said the SBAT was all their stories. She was just kind of regurgitating it. Um, she said the police investigation was just an overreaction. And she said that she wanted to tell the three that she was sorry. I feel for her at that point, but it's also like, sorry is not enough at this point. Yeah, not at all. So just after the trials, Christopher Byers' biological father, Ricky Murray, called Lax's firm. He had seen that Maury episode, and Mark's alibi that he mentioned on the show didn't match what he had told Murray at his son's funeral. Murray also said, I never gave up my parental rights. Mark Byers never adopted Christopher. Weird for him to keep saying that he had yeah. adopted him. <laughs> In a letter that was posted on WM3.org, Murray said that he didn't believe that the West Memphis Three killed the boys and that he hoped the actual killers would be found. That's a pretty bold. I mean, this yeah. is the first like victim family coming out and saying that. Yeah. The buyers is. I started to cut some of this, but like it's so they did so much. Okay. The buyers is suck. The buyers is man. They wrote <laughs> they wrote a bunch of bad checks and then they moved to a different city. Both of them uh, were put in jail in September for stealing more than twenty grand worth of antiques from a house near them. They pleaded not guilty. Two weeks later, Mark was arrested again. Now for contributing to the delinquency of a minor, there was a teenager who was seriously injured in a knife fight that Byers, quote, instigated, encouraged, and supervised. What? <laughs> he told the police chief who arrested him, I thought the boys should have fought it out. Don't you agree? And the chief was, chief was like, no, what? that's why I'm arresting you. What? <laughs> what? Uh... Again. He has never served a day in prison at this point, mm. at this, at this point, at this point. Good. Uh, I, I like that verbiage. Barely. So uh. they also had this feud with their next door neighbors. Police had been called to settle disagreements between the two couples eight times in one month. Yeah. Buyer said this all started when he swatted the neighbor's five-year-old son with a fly swatter hard enough to leave bruises. I put myself a note saying like Daniel, like, <laughs> can you, Please, you have a five-year-old son. I have a five-year-old, and I I am a true believer in spanking, but there has been never a time that That, I've ever, like, hit him This isn't even your own kid. This is the neighbor hitting your five-year-old kid hard enough to bruise him. (laughs) No, like, I would would end my Uh neighbor. I I would be in jail if that occurred. That's why I put myself a note to that. (laughs) Yes. No, I would, I would, (laughs) my neighbor would no longer be, uh, Uh at least conscious Mm-mm. so <laughs> or or able to be found ever again <laughs> I've, hey man i i've i've read a lot of true crime I've, and i've got a lot of true crime friends yeah, so, yeah, there it is. Nudge, so. so Byers told a local reporter that he and his wife were being targeted because of accusations made about him at the trials a quote from that we are the victims turned into villains if that mm. ain't like a fallout boy lyric if i've ever heard one <laughs> shut up yeah. The same house that they had burglarized had a motorhome in the driveway and it just suddenly exploded and burned. The woman who lived there was out of town at the time, but told police that the propane tanks had been empty. Hmm. Pretty, pretty clear who did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, An Arkansas Times reporter decided to look into Mark Byers' history. She learned that when Byers was 16, his parents called the cops saying he was threatening to kill them with a butcher knife. The owners of wow, a jewelry, yeah, the owners of a jewelry store said that both the Byerses had worked for them in October of 1990, and that 65 grand worth of jewelry had been stolen during that time. So by the end of 94, the Byers had 
12 misdemeanor charges in West Memphis for bad checks. They had the charges for the residential burglary for the antiques. They had neighbors who had a restraining order on them. They were suspects in the motorhome explosion. Mm -hmm. Mark had the contributing to the delinquency charges, and he got found guilty for that in January. And then Melissa had an aggravated assault charge where she held a gun on a carpet installer who wouldn't work in her house until the floors were cleaned first. What? Holy shit. All of that was in 94. Like. That's insane, dude. But honestly, I, it's, it's really, it's hard to say that our justice system isn't working. Well, well. I mean, who, who hasn't? accidentally <laughs> you know I, I i have also stolen 20 grand worth of antiques and i just you know it it happens I mean, to dude, the it's best in of every us. other you know, day I thing got, mm-hmm. at this well, point i got really know. upset at, you know the person that mows our lawn and yeah. i was like oh you didn't weed eat really well so, so i pulled I, a gun on I him a gun on it, it wasn't a big he, deal yeah, yeah yeah i mean shit like honestly he Who didn't wouldn't? mow the lawn well so you know it's his own fault yeah exactly i mean he had it coming <laughs> He, he, really, he, he was he asking it for it. Yes. <laughs> so they stayed under the radar for several months. And then in March of 1996, Melissa Byers died. Uh, the doctors couldn't find any evidence of trauma on her body and they couldn't figure out what caused her death. State police were called and upon their investigation said it might be a homicide. They can't figure out what caused her death. Like what? Just wait. Okay. A witness called the police immediately after hearing that Melissa had died, like like within like an hour or two. I don't know how she found out so quick. Yeah. And she said that the Byerses had been having trouble lately and that Mark had a girlfriend named Mandy. And like standing outside of the house with Byers while it was being searched just a couple hours after Melissa died was a woman named Mandy Beasley. Like standing side by side with them. Like I don't think he was hiding it or anything. And she had actually Melissa had told her parents a few days before she died mm-hmm. that Mark was like, Mark had a girlfriend and he was cheating on her and he was being terrible and uh, that she was going to divorce him, but that he wouldn't let her. It's not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> not so much. Byers, a statement on what he had done that day was vague. And he said that uh, he and his wife had taken a nap. And then when he woke up, he couldn't wake her up. What? What'd you do with the rest of your day? Yeah. State police investigator and the sheriff didn't get the autopsy results back for six entire months. It was like six months and a day before they got the autopsy reports back. And then it wasn't even very helpful. The medical examiner's office said they couldn't. They, the medical examiners, also couldn't determine the cause of death or the legal manner of death, which means whether it's natural causes, an accident, suicide, or homicide. How is that even fucking possible? Can you narrow it down any? No. Who works for these? The answer is no. (laughs) So the case. What do you know? (laughs) No. The case stayed open. Uh, They did find that she had delauded. Delauded? Is that how you say it? Delauded? Delauded. Delauded. Okay. Um, She had delauded in her system, and it was really in demand on the street at the time, and she didn't have a prescription for it. It's morphine. I thought it was something like that. Uh, She had been addicted to heroin since she was 12 Mm. so like she went through it Mm. uh she also had a bunch of iv marks like all over her body but they said those could have all been made at the hospital when they were trying to you know stabilize Mm -hmm. her of course buyers got some more convictions but never any jail time of course dude i seriously just skipped some of it because there's so much and usually when he got any punishments it was just like paying restitution yeah but then 
he would be like charged to pay like 20 grand in restitution. And he would be like, I am just on disability and that's all I live on. I can't pay that. So I don't ever have to pay it. Good luck getting that money. Exactly. How how do you squeeze blood from a fucking stone, dude? Like, and then there was, there was (laughs) one crime that he did. Uh, he was told that if he committed any more crimes, then, uh, that would like undo his plea deal with that. And he would be considered a habitual offender. So he would like kind of have the book thrown at him. Yeah. Then in April of 1999, Byers called a wrong number and it happened to be a state trooper's personal cell phone. And he said, hey, man, you want to come by and get some more of that good shit? And the state trooper's like, Damn, yeah, yeah, buddy. That's your Allie deal. trying to buy one <laughs> weed. Absolutely. Right <laughs> <laughs> so the trooper said he was busy right now, but could his friend Jeff come by? And then um, also, could you give me directions so I can give him a Jeff? I don't remember like all the streets to get to your house. And Byers said, sure, buddy. So he did. Gave him directions to get to him. So the trooper called a couple undercover narc officers to Byers' house, and they bought some drugs, and then they arrested Byers and charged him with selling Xanax. He was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison, but the judge suspended that sentence and put him on probation. Yes. But the judge with the habitual offender threat from earlier came through, and he got sentenced to eight years in prison for offending again. So now he's actually in prison. Good. He gives some interviews from prison saying he had no criminal record before this. Hello? (laughs) (laughs) He also said he had a really good, happy childhood and that life, you know, all of his life was just great until all these recent troubles. Yeah. And uh, when a reporter was like, what about the thing you said on Paradise Lost about when you were sexually assaulted as a kid? And he was like, I actually dreamed that. I dreamed that. And I told that to my wife at one point. What is with these people making up dreams? Yeah, dude. So, uh, Byers was released after serving 15 months of his eight-year sentence. Yeah. God. All right. (laughs) Done with Byers. (laughs) One of the three founders of the WM3.org decided to take an evidence analysis class taught by a criminal profiler. These people were committed. These people that ran this website. Um, Brent Turvey, the instructor, was interested when he was told about the West Memphis 3 case, and more so when he was shown pictures and other evidence about the autopsies. He wrote, this is the instructor of this class the girl's taken. He wrote a report of his own assessment of the case in 97, and he mentioned some stuff that hadn't even been mentioned before. Yeah. Like there was a scrape on Michael Moore's right shoulder that didn't match anything that could have scraped him in the woods. Yeah. I The way it was worded, I got the impression that it was like, you could tell it was done on like concrete and there was no concrete around something like that. Yeah. Uh, he also said Stevie Branch's face appeared to have bite marks on it and that those can be as unique as fingerprints and should be examined by a forensic dentist. Mm-hmm. He also said that the lacerations on Christopher's buttocks from the belt lashing from Mark Byers, would ha- they were so bad, like they had bled. And he was like, these would have made him unable Jeez. to walk or ride a bike without incredible pain and discomfort. Ouch. Yeah. Man. Um. He said there would have been at least four crime scenes, the abduction site, the attack site, the dump site, and the vehicle that was used to transport the bodies between the attack and the dump site. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the victim's wounds showed that they gave limited resistance suggested that the victims knew and trusted whoever approached them. Yeah. So again, it's not looking like Damien and Jason and Jesse. Yeah. 
Has it since the beginning? Never has. <laughs> okay. Not a just, once. Just checking. <laughs> so the, the HBO filmmakers decided they'd make a sequel that had a stronger advocacy message. They estimated that 20% of the viewers of their first film watched it and then were like, yeah, they did do it. Like, did y'all watch the same movie? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> God, man. So the second film was based on the website and all the activism. Uh, most people who had been in the first film refused to be interviewed again, except, of course, Mark fucking Byers. Yeah. <laughs> Trey actually told me today, he was like, you have to watch the second one. Mark Byers is so insane in that one. <sighs> this time, he was more hateful and more histrionic. I had to look that word up. Always do. It means dramatic. Uh, in his rants and mm -hmm. most of paradise <laughs> lost Two was filmed in 98 and it premiered on HBO in March of 2000 with mm -hmm. buyers front and center as the film's target as prime suspect. Wow, dude. So you just out here yapping and yeah. And look how they're going to present you. Exactly. <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> so a whole bunch of musicians start getting involved. Cause it seems like the case sent a message that the music you create or just listen to could be used against you in court as a sign that you're fucking satanic. So musicians are like, we hate this. Yeah. Now, now we're getting thrown under the bus. Yeah. Kind of thing. So Metallica first donated their music for the soundtrack of the first film. And then in March of 2000, this band manager named Danny Bland, uh, he rounded up some people and he went to see Damien and Jason their idea was to put together a benefit CD to raise awareness about the West Memphis Three case. Seven months after he visited Arkansas, the CD Free the West Memphis Three was ready to be released. Some of the bigger names on it were Tom Waits, Steve Earle, and Eddie Vedder. I know um, a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. There's a, there's a whole wiki page on it. Yeah. Um, just before it came out, Pearl Jam played a show in Memphis. They played two encores in front of 10,000 fans, and then Eddie Vedder came out once more, and he said, this last song is for a friend that I haven't met yet. He's from West Memphis. I'm going to meet him tomorrow. And then they covered The Who's Teenage Wasteland. And then he did go meet Damien oh, the next that day. Just gave me chill I know, bumps. I know. I'm like, seriously. Yeah. No, that's off. And he did. He did go meet Damien the next day. Yeah. Um, the album had a, some haters, of course, but it had a lot of supporters. Yeah. And there were a few, like Black Flag did a, not Black Flag, uh, Black Flag Rollins Band did. Yeah. Um, there were there were several like West Memphis three, uh, like advocates kind of thing CDs specifically. Oh, okay, gotcha. but yeah, advocate. Oh yeah. Um, just a few weeks after the trials ended, pro Prosecutor Fogelman ran for and was elected to be Circuit Court Judge. Great. <laughs> Great to hear. Fogelman uh, did get interviewed for the book in 2001, and while he said things could have been handled differently, he was still confident that the three accused teens were guilty. Uh, the only options that the West Memphis Three had for appeals were a Rule 37 petition. Every time I typed that, I was like, it's not Rule 34. Oh, it's not Rule 34. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I, I was like, damn, <laughs> three numbers away. <laughs> so close. Damn. Um, so a Rule 37 petition would say that their trials had been unfair. and But that's heard by the same judge who tried the case. Yeah, exactly. What a flaw in the system. Like, I'm... It's uh, and it's so fucking blatant. Like it's, so, it's, like it's, it's so like front and center. It's so like yeah. Uh, it's just being like I'm spitting everywhere. Are I'm you so sure pissed. you were right the first time? Yeah. Yeah. What shit. Well, who's gonna double check you? Me. Who <laughs> says right here I was right the first time? Um. So if the inmate has a <laughs> at death, least we got Larry, right? <laughs> 
Um, if the inmate has a death sentence, there are stricter standards to meet to deny the petition. So you can not write it off, but you don't have to follow such strict rules mm. for Rule 37. But you do if they're a death sentence. Yeah. Which makes sense. Sure. <laughs> uh, one claim can be that your lawyer fucked up legally that you had ineffective assistance of counsel. But again, these guys don't have any money to hire the lawyers. Yeah. But some big time criminal defense attorneys were starting to get interested. Barry Sheck, who worked in the OJ case, was an expert in DNA evidence. For OJ? Yeah. He's definitely well, an expert. <laughs> Yeah, he's criminal defense. So sorry, he's, sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, oh, you don't want to brag about the OJ case. But, no, no. But, but hey, that is a he, big he, name. Hey, yeah, man. Like, he, he knows how to get it done. So, so, no. so Sheck is a, he's an expert in DNA evidence. Another lawyer from Houston named Edward Mallett told Damien in 1997 that he'd work on his Rule 37 petition for free and that Sheck would help him. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, Sheck met with Val Price and asked why he participated in the making of the film and mm -hmm. why he allowed Damien to. And Price was like, well, let me tell you about the money <laughs> that uh, Damien would get $7,500 for three interviews with the film. Mm -hmm. And they were going to use that money to hire experts to testify. The six defense lawyers didn't get paid for years. And when they did, they got paid a hundred, 142 grand combined for six years. No, years. Oh, I'm sorry. But six lawyers. Six lawyers and how many years? Um, It was like two or three years. Two or three. Yeah. And but I mean, like, even just like six and one year. Yeah. Like, and even what? then, it took them a long time to get the money because um, they were transferring the responsibility for paying court-appointed attorneys from the state to the counties. Wow. So there was this dispute about who would pay theirs. So it had to go to the state Supreme Court, and that whole time the lawyers are underpaid. So here's the breakdown of their pay. Damien's main lawyer price got thirty grand. Damien's other For, lawyer. So real quick, total. Yeah, total. Okay. Total. Wow. <laughs> Years later. Yeah. <laughs> Damien's other lawyer, Davidson, got twenty five grand. Stidham and Crow, Jesse's two lawyers, split forty grand. And Ford and Wadley, Jason's two lawyers, split forty six thousand five hundred. That is fucking insane, it's dude. Abysmal. Well, so this is so we we all have known at least one uh, public defense lawyer in our lives, or I. And I'm just saying that I'm just telling you guys that we all know. One. Okay, okay. Um, and like, it makes sense. You should probably know who, I'm, who the fuck I'm talking about. You, you, you make fun yeah. of his cheap suit, and then you're like, oh, well, yeah. look what you paid. It's, it's one of those things that it's like, wow, dude, like. You never, it's like the whole, there's like memes now that are like, my lawyer rolls up looking like this. I know I'm going to prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's, and it's yeah. like, well, what what the fuck are they supposed to do? They're not getting yeah. paid. They're paid fucking pennies, yeah. man. Well, I forget which, I think it was Stidham said that they, his, the firm that he worked for. Yeah had to take out like bank loans to cover the cost of the court case during the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's insane. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the state did pay our buddy Ron Lack seven grand and they paid a couple expert witnesses, but they were like a thousand, fifteen hundred. Jesus, dude. That's so, wild. Yeah. Uh, by April of 97, all three of the defendants had petitioned Judge Burnett under Rule 37. 
Mallet argued that Damien's counsel was unfairly deprived of funds for experts and adequate and timely recom- recompense? Recompense? Uh, I don't know. Getting need, paid yeah. for their own service. <laughs> services. <laughs> Getting paid. Getting paid. Uh, <laughs> and because of that, they created this conflict of interest by entering this agreement with the filmmakers, and Prosecutor Davis disagreed. Judge Burnett agreed to hear both their sides. Mallet also filed a hearing to have bite mark impressions taken of Damien, Jesse, and Jason. Another weird thing, when the hearing wasn't finished at the end of the day, which mm-hmm. is said usually this kind of hearing just takes like an hour or two, of course, nothing's ever normal with the Westman Mystery yeah. case. Um, when the hearing wasn't finished at the end of the day, Burnett ordered it continued to the next day that worked with his schedule, and then that happened two more times. So Damien's hearing lasted for eight days, spread over four sessions, in two different courthouses, over a period of 10 months. Oh, my God. And it's supposed to, like... Usually ask an hour or two. <laughs> what is taking so What long? is happening? This whole... Thank you. So, the website would post the upcoming What's hearing. What's happening? <laughs> Why is this doing this? <laughs> the, uh, the West Memphis 3 website would be posting... They would post the upcoming hearing dates, and mm. people were traveling from... There were 12 different states people were traveling from to come to the court hearings. And the site's founder said that they wanted the state of Arkansas to know that the world is watching. Fucking finally, it's right? No like shit, We're here man. now. Yeah. A forensic dentist testified for the defense that the molds from the West Memphis Three would not have matched the bites on Stevie Branch's face. Then the prosecution had a forensic dentist testify that those marks weren't from a human at all. Okay. okay. Then Dr. Peretti comes up and he testifies, which he conveniently never mentioned before or put in any report. This is the guy that did the autopsies, right? Yeah. He actually, just to be on the safe side, he had had a forensic dentist look at all the bodies and all the marks on all the bodies back when he did the autopsies. Why did you never mention that? What? (laughs) Throw it in your notes. Seriously. And that dentist took the stand. And he also said, none of these marks on any of these bodies came from human bites. So when Mallet questioned him, the dentist said that he hadn't taken any notes, he didn't write a report, and he didn't build a crime lab for his time. Did you look at the body? Is it bodies? But, yeah. Weirdly enough, Byers is outside the courtroom that day yapping at the cameras that the meds that he was on for his brain tumor had caused him to lose all his teeth. What weird timing, bro. Man, that's God. surprising. What? No. He, he had other stories like peppered through this about like why he lost all of his teeth, but like the story kept changing. Like... There was one about him having a bunch of cavities and having to have them taken out. And there was one about, I forget what the other even was. Like he just completely different story every time. So, (laughs) so, okay. (sighs) Okay. Don't they normally have like records of your dentition? Like just if you, if If you ever, if you've ever been. Yeah. So, but even yeah, then, just, they're saying just that these weren't throwing that in. These, there. these weren't even human bite marks, anyway. Yeah, that's so, a good point. That's a good point. I know, yeah. I know. But I kept. Yeah, and I know. Honestly, yeah. I just and I know it's this fishy. is my well, this is my own bias against this motherfucker that sure. just seems very sus. Sure, so. sure, very beyond very. Yeah. So, Mallet gave Judge Burnett his written arguments. He named off some of the conflicts of interest and uh, just other various sketchy shit. Yeah. He named. He said that the lawyers never asked the court to even pay for experts. They just made assumptions about whether they would. 
You didn't even try? God. They, um, the money from the filmmakers was supposed to be held in a trust for Damien's child, and, like, the lawyers were the trustees on it. Mm -hmm. They just emptied it and, like, I think used it for, like, their own. Like, they weren't getting paid. I get that, but, like. It's not your money. You can't have it. (laughs) Yeah. So Damien's lawyer didn't disclose that he had represented Mark Byers in the jewelry store case or that he had served as counsel for witness Michael Carson. Those are both conflicts of interest. The biggest issue that Mallet raised was Price questioning the psychologist, allowing Damien's confidential records to be admitted into evidence. Huge oversight. I get that. Yeah. Judge Burnett denied Damien's Rule 37 petition for a new trial fucking surprise mallet appealed that denial to the arkansas supreme court he also made the case to them that damien shouldn't have been tried at all because of his mental state at the time and he actually had a whole bunch of documentation to back that up yeah he was like here's notes damien wrote in in jail about his attempted suicide here's notes that shuttles and lax both made after visits with him describing his hallucinations and his paranoid delusions like Mm. to be fair this kid shouldn't have been on trial the way that he was absolutely And then some new records showed that Damien had been declared 100% mentally disabled by the Federal Social Security Administration before his arrest and his trial. Which we knew earlier, and he was getting checks for that until he got arrested. But no one ever told the lawyers that, and they never found out. And, like, from what the book said, they really take into effect, like, apparently it's pretty hard at at least at the time, I don't know now, but it was very hard to get social security to say, yes, you're mentally disabled or disabled at all. We recognize that we're sending you a disability check. So like if you had like records from social security saying that you were disabled, courts would really uphold that. Yeah. So like that would have been a big deal. So, okay. Val price submitted an affidavit with this whole statement saying that if he had known this, he would have, totally changed everything about his approach on representing Damien, which, yeah, you know, like, why, why was he not privy to this information? I don't know so that he ever it? thought to ask. Oh, that's a good, well, you know, yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know that Damien God. realized that it would have helped him to know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel like anybody's really at fault there. It God, just man. sucks. <laughs> Super oversight, just not not by anybody's fault kind of thing, yeah. but, like, just massive oversight. Yeah. Um, Stidham filed a motion with Burnett that said <clears throat> that there was a reasonable chance that some of the items that were in evidence might bring new DNA results since DNA testing had advanced so much in those eight years. Mm-hmm. Burnett just didn't respond. Thanks, man. Two years <laughs> after Burnett denied the Rule 37 petition, the state Supreme Court agreed to hear their arguments. Mm-hmm. It lasted less than an hour. And then a month later, they issued their ruling agreeing with Mallet on one point that Burnett's denial did not address each point that Mallet had made and thus did not meet the requirements of law. So like how you have to be so specific with yeah. the death penalty stuff. Sure. Uh, that just volleys it back to Burnett. <laughs> it's so fucked. And so he put the bare minimum into like revising what he did. He just shot down the points that he didn't really, like, put details on with just a copied response over and over. So, again, not putting any effort, not putting any actual thought into it. Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) Well, he hadn't hadn't done that from day one, so... So, Mallet (laughs) appealed... Or at least it could be argued, so... Mallet appealed it again to the state Supreme Court. (laughs) 
Round and round we go. Uh, Stidham asked Burnett to rule about the retesting of the evidence because six months had passed since he filed that motion. He hadn't heard a peep. Four years had passed since filing Jesse's Rule 37 petition. He hadn't heard back about that. Hello? Please? Four fucking years? Four years! <laughs> While you're rotting in prison as a teen. Dude. Eight That's more months so pass, and Stidham, Stidham writes Burnett a letter, and he's like, Hey, man, um, can I put my motion to retest in front of another judge like if you're too but like please yeah. Yeah. and then burnett finally scheduled a date but that was after the book was published um kind of a rapid yeah. fire here at the very no, end no no no, no 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 but this is um <laughs> it kept reminding me of those montages they have at the end of movies where it's like and, so, and, and so they, and so this happened yes, to them. So yeah. and so this is where they went yeah. ended up. <laughs> I actually skipped over because they went over what a bunch of the different detectives did. A lot of them did like quit really quickly after the trial. Uh, Gitchell resigned two months after the convictions. Detective Mike Allen was promoted to captain. He told a reporter that the HBO film was a one-sided biased job and it did injustice to the case. And he maintained that the West Memphis three were guilty. Each of the West Memphis Three guys had a little blurb here at the end, too, from interviews in 2001. Um, I think it said Jesse was 25 at the time. So that would have made Jason 24 and Damien 26-ish. Uh, Jesse said that he was hopeful and he was smarter now than when he was arrested. Quote, if you didn't do it, don't ever admit that you did. What a heartbreaking fucking quote. It is. I know. It's so simple. <laughs> it's so you simple and it's so like... It sucks so much what it took for you to realize that. Yeah. Damien had read about Buddhism and he now embraced that. And when he got married in 1999, a Buddhist performed the ceremony at the prison. He married Lori Davis, the woman that he had been corresponding with since oh, the first film. Oh, there we go. Oh, look at that. And yeah. they're still married now in 2023. Sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. And again, she's an architect. Like, she's not some weirdo that's yeah. like, I found a boyfriend in prison. No, like, what no, she did like is she was like, this is some fuck shit. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know what. I don't know how you would start like <laughs> corresponding. I found with some boyfriend in prison. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of women that do stuff like that, and they're weird. And yeah. I don't, I don't think her. I don't think there's her a, there's was. a whole there's years, a whole man, dating site. Cool. There's a whole dating site for that. Like, oh can, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Larry, have you thought about that? Nope, I've just seen it on TikTok. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Also, I just <laughs> just curiously we're moving right along. <laughs> when, I, when I looked to see if they were if if they were, I knew he was married, but when I looked to see if he was still married to the same person, um, she is sixty and he is forty eight. Yeah, but it's know. not it's not crazy. But I just I feel like her being an architect and being twelve years older, like, just kind of makes it look like she was like grown and mature and logical and stuff you know i mean honestly probably most dudes need to be married to an older woman Fair. or older women Fair. older woman <laughs> wow and well i'm just saying like whatever yeah. most heterosexual dudes how about that uh need to be married to an older woman because they they you you need that guys yeah. like yeah. honestly if you try to marry somebody younger than you you're doing yourself a disfavor so <laughs> Is it disfavor a word? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is it? Why am I? You don't tell. You don't tell me what to do. I said it with such like. <laughs> I think it's confidence. A word? Is it a word? Just Why run can't... with it, dude. It sounds weird. Disfavor. It's gonna drive me crazy. Yeah. Disfavor. Okay. Thank you. Mm. 
know if it works work for what like we're that. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, I ask, no, I ask for this. I ask for this. <laughs> um, Jason Baldwin kept a really good prison record, like didn't get in trouble or anything, you know. Um, he learned about computers really quickly. So he had some, what they called white collar jobs in prison, like working on computers. Sure. Um, definitely still limited. No, probably no internet, but like doing computer stuff. Um, he was studying investments. He took college courses in anthropology, accounting and American politics. He said he, he wanted to figure out like how it all worked. And uh, he was hoping to attend law school, and he's God, no shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he still believed that right will prevail. Which, again, at this time, these guys I, are all still in prison. I yeah. actually love the fact that because I, I believe I believe in this. I think that the 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 right will fucking prevail. Over, the <sighs> the good will prevail over the wicked, and like I believe that. And I'm not saying like sure. I, Throw religion out, whatever. I don't care. I think the good will always prevail over the wicked. But then it's also like, should you have to serve 18 years before you get like... Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But But ultimately... Ultimately, dude, I think that when the... I, yes. Yeah. I think that's a, actually a pretty cool quote. So. Also, I don't know how I didn't realize till last night, but there's a sequel to the book and Jason Baldwin co-wrote it with her. Really? And it's supposed to pretty much be about him, but some of the reviews said it talks quite a bit about Damien. Yeah. But, like, I think I might have to read that now. Yeah. Um, the three guys had Toss different... Toss it on the pile. <laughs> no. no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the three guys had different ver- visions of what free life would be like. Jesse thought about a big party. Damien said he wanted to disappear with Lori. And Jason wanted to be an activist in something law-related. And then next week, I will finally conclude this bad boy with some updates from the past 21 years since the book was released. So nice. I I, I just want to really reiterate, Jason th- or Jesse thought it was going to be a big party. He wanted to have a big party. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. Th- yeah. Yeah. That to- all of these fit their like they pers- do the personalities that at least sure. are portrayed through this sure kind of thing sure. that it's like oh Jesse he wants like a big to do about it like that you know yeah. this has happened Damien just wants to get left the fuck alone yeah. and then Jason actually wants to do something about it because it was like it How does the fuck it all really like, tracks you know yeah it's kind of neat it is so. neat I think that was a good like cool little summary there at the yeah end. that's cool dude Whew. so we're through the book next wow. week will just be. A, a little bit about how Alfred pleas work and if I can figure that shit out and uh, them getting out of prison and dude, like that. You have done a phenomenal job covering this. <laughs> it's the this. book, dude. I'm and telling I, you, this this book is so good. And it's The Devil's Knot, right? The Devil's Knot by Mara, Mara Leverett. That's um, awesome. It's, it's so good, man. Well, your presentation of the book has been Thanks. fucking... It's been really good. Like... And it's what what's really nice is to for me not having read it to be able to ask you questions and you're like oh yeah I can yeah. fill this in because I already have the information kind of thing and I, I can't I'm get sorry. it out of my head honestly well I'm sorry to like put you in that situation <laughs> no, no, that no. it's like oh I'm gonna ask you this and I expect you to know this because you're the fucking authority right I am on this now <laughs> yeah well I mean fucking a <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope you see yourself as that so. Wes texted me while we were recording and he uh. said that stupid Judge Burnett <laughs> I dude love, dude I love I'm getting texts from people just randomly I, I texted Trey in the middle of the day today and I was like. Like, I'm once again thinking about how Mark Byers conveniently lost all his fucking teeth. Dude, 
Nathan hit me up and was just like, yeah. dude, it's so depressing, but it's like, you can't it's, look away. It's, it's entertaining. And it's like a train wreck. Well, yeah. you, well it's it, honestly, car crash. Dude, you're right. It's yeah. it's this thing that it's like you can't look away from. Yeah. And it's like, it's very fascinating. I think and it's like, ultimately that, that hoping that we can learn something from all these fuck ups. Yeah. You know? Or that we can take more things into perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, but what Wes said was that stupid Judge Burnett got elected to the Arkansas Senate. And get this, he introduced a bill to abolish the death penalty in Arkansas, but it didn't pass. Wow, dude. <laughs> wow. And he said, I was hoping he got impaled by a rogue flying dildo, but apparently karma isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> My oh, God. <laughs> amazing, dude. Fucking amazing. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this bad boy up. We're yep. just over an hour, and uh, holy hell. Actually, Whew. after edited down, it's going to be right at an hour. Perfect. So, um, Allie, thank you so much, seriously, because you have done a phenomenal job. So seriously, thank you guys for listening to this. Like I, it has meant so much to me that like several people have, have reached out and been like, this case is fucked. I'm so into it. Like, yeah, <laughs> dude, it's, it's just, it is, it's completely fucked, but yeah. like the more that it's talked about, the more, then it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of these things that it's, it's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to hear. Yeah. It's difficult to any aspect of this is fucking difficult. Yeah. But we all need to hear it. We need to talk to people about it and people need to know so that like, that's the only way that this shit's going to change, man, is that it's like people getting fired up about stuff like this that we've got the hindsight on to be like, okay, we're, we're not in this fervor of like satanic panic or whatever, you know, or what the fuck ever we're dealing with. And it's like, okay, we need to fucking pump the brakes. We need to actually evaluate this and look at the actual facts and then come to conclusions yeah, and not like let fucking idiots just be like, ah, this is what you need to think. And don't, ah. don't just assume that. <laughs> Warriors. Like, like when people are like, oh, the court system will work as it's supposed to. No. It won't. It won't. It, it won't, won't. Unless, unless they have the fucking pressure yeah. from us yeah. that it's like, hang the fuck up, guys. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I mean, all these, all these judges, they're appointed. Yeah. They're not yep. elected. This is what people need to understand. Some of them are elected. Some you are can, elected. Some run. A boatload yeah, of judges yeah, yeah. are fucking appointed. Yeah. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's these motherfuckers that it's like, dude, I you didn't earn this position. You came into this position because you knew the right guy, you greased yeah. the right palm. Yeah. What the fuck ever kind of thing. Yeah. So you got enough good press from putting the West Memphis three away. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But um but anyway. Yeah. So um, thank you so much. Seriously. Yeah. Th- this has been awesome. I'm just glad you yeah. guys keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're always here to listen. But <laughs> listeners out there, let us know what you guys thought about this. Tetherradio at gmail.com. That's T-E-T-H-E-R-R-A-D-I-O at gmail.com. We're always waiting to hear from you guys because honestly... You guys make us uh, want to uh, come back every week and do this. This is our therapy, but at the same time, you guys make it worth coming back. 
time and time again. So <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, check us out on all the socials. Uh, check out the uh, the normal episodes on Monday. And, uh, man, thank you guys so much for, for joining us for right around an hour for Untethered 100 Part 6 of the Whew. West Memphis 3. We are going to conclude next week with Part 7, uh, and it's going Just to be little, kind of a recap, little, right? No, the, uh, updates since the book. Updates yeah. since the book. Yeah. Cool. Rock and roll. So uh, we will conclude next week with Part 7 of the West Memphis 3. We hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Be sure to check out the full episode on Monday. Until then, take it easy, friendos. Bye. Bye.